Welcome to the inaugural podcast of our Don't Be Denied series. My name is Jordan Shields and my co-host is Dr. Alan Farron. Together we have decades, seems like even longer, of experience in helping people understand and navigate the complex and often troubled waters of healthcare and specifically health insurance. Whether you've experienced the many frustrations of having a medical service denied or not, our complete and easy to understand podcast will prepare, educate and guide you so you'll fully develop and understand how your health insurance works or doesn't work and know what to do in the event of receiving a medical claims denial. We'll also provide step-by-step directions on how to launch an effective appeal effort. For full information on me and Dr. Farron and our service offerings, visit us at medicalappealexperts.com. So Jordan, you use the metaphor, denials are like a river. Denial is a river. Yeah, yes. Just go ahead and explain why you you think that way. Well, it's all wrong, actually, because it's more of a flood. But there are so many reasons for medical claims denials. And the reason we're having a series, we can't condense it all into one. There are administrative reasons for claims denials. There are medical reasons for claims denials. There are contractual reasons for claims denials. There are a host of ways that carriers can make your life miserable when all you're trying to do is get a claim paid. So denial is a river. It was supposed to be ironic, but it's also quite true. It's really denial is a flood. And our job is to help you navigate those turbulent waters so that you will not be overwhelmed by the coming wave of what will assail you when you have a major medical claim. So we're really not here to bash our insurance carriers. Unless we have to. Unless unless we have to. But we're here really to defend some of their actions, as well as understand their position, given our experiences with them. There are some basics that we really need to be talking about. First of all, why do carriers go ahead and deny claims? And more importantly, what can you do about it? What are your responsibilities and what are the responsibilities that insurance companies have? Who needs to get involved? Who are these people? What's their role to help you? Particularly the broker, the carrier, the health plan, obviously, and your doctor. With all these denial layers, tell us how to navigate these confusing waters. And we know what you're thinking. You're thinking the reason that the insurance companies administrators don't pay is because they don't want to. And you're right. They don't want to unless they have to. And they do have to. And there are layers of appeal that are available to you to make sure that you take them to task. Now, we're going to be focusing mostly on employer-employee contracts, but 95% of what we say is also going to apply to individual plans that you have. It's just that some of the resources we'll be talking about may not be available to you on an individual basis, but definitely on a group basis. I mean, the way we look at it is, you know, pity the poor employee who they start a job and they're going through the interview with, with everyone and say, welcome to the company. And now here is a giant personnel manual we want you to go through and sign. And it has everything you need to know about everything we're going to do with you, for you, and to you. And it also includes a short reference to your medical plan. It might be one or two or three pages. Here's your medical plan, everything you need to know. It's not. Everything you need to know is contained in an evidence of coverage, which your employer usually doesn't have. And nobody ever reads because it's 150 pages. I will tell you that the lawyers that wrote it, they read it. And then they wrote it and then they read it again and they wrote it again. And it is confusing to read the entire thing. 
what we're going to focus on is the basics that you need to know and make sure that you know what to navigate, how to navigate, and when to navigate it. So the EOC, the evidence of coverage, that's really your Bible. But don't pray with it. Don't no. pray with it. Well, no. but you can swear with it. Probably the most important thing is when you get that denial, you got to go to that EOC booklet and see what was covered and what is not covered. That's really an important piece. And there's a lot of stuff that you're going to be seeing. And here's how it breaks down really simply. And I'm going to read because I wrote these words. So I want to make sure I get them right. The common things you're going to see on an explanation of benefit statement, an EOB, this is the communication you get from the carrier that says your claim is approved, your claim is not approved. If it's approved, here's how much we're paying or here's how much we're denying, et cetera. It's called an EOB, explanation of benefits. What you're going to see at the end when they say that we're not paying anything for this is there's no coverage for this condition in the contract, usually stated as not a covered benefit. There is no coverage if you're not using network providers called out of network, or maybe your contract basically says we only cover in network providers and you went outside the network and we're not going to pay it. We do not find this procedure, service, et cetera, to be medically necessary. Sometimes they'll call it investigational or experimental or simply in their opinion, it's not medically necessary. And we have a whole podcast dedicated to what constitutes medical necessity because it's a very important concept. And it's a great dodge for the carriers. Well, you know, we don't think that's not going to happen. And there is a way to push back on that. It's one of the top reasons why a denial is issued. And it's a very confusing and a very conflicted type of issue because here you have your doctor, your healthcare professional, ordering a test that they feel is medically necessary and it gets denied. So we unwind all that in our podcast on demystifying medical necessity. It'll be confusing to you, but it's not confusing to the claims examiner who says, I don't see any reason for medical necessity here. Therefore, in my opinion, based on my many years of experience in the insurance world, which usually consists of six to 12 months of training, if that, and my 25 years on the planet earth, I don't consider this to be medically necessary. Your response will be something a little more violent than that, as mine always is. But it is important to remember that they're the ones holding all the cards. They're also the ones holding all the money. So you have to breathe, read your evidence of coverage, and see what they're talking about and ask your doctor what they're talking about. So let's not dwell on that any further, but we will be dwelling on it at length in a future podcast. Here's another denial you'll see. This drug is not covered because you did not attempt to use other options. We could have a whole podcast on that alone, but essentially carriers and administrators have now put themselves in a place where they say, we want you to try this drug first when you have a medical situation, no matter what your doctor says. We want you to try this one first because A, we don't think your doctor knows what they're doing, which is ridiculous. Or B, this is cheaper. Can't you try the cheaper one first instead of messing around with our money and trying the more expensive one just because your doctor recommended it? Oh my God, what are you thinking? So that's called step therapy. And it is a common reason for denial as well. A few others, the surgery requires a second opinion and there's no record of it being done. Hip, knee, shoulder, joint replacements generally require a second opinion, not always, but it's never a bad idea to get one. And sometimes the carriers do require it and they won't pay unless you get one. 
you or your doctor fail to get advanced authorization for this procedure. Uh, I've got a surgery coming up and I got a note from my carrier that says, we received the note from your doctor. We've approved you for one night in the hospital. I know going in, I'm good for one night in the hospital, which trust me is all I want to spend there. But if I need more time, then the doctor has to call the carrier and say, Mr. Shields has taken a turn for the worse. I'm afraid that he's going to have to stay another day. So these authorizations are important and make sure everyone knows who they're going to be contacting if an extension is required. Yeah, the correct term is actually prior authorization. Yes. And most of the time, proceduralists, surgeons in particular, know that certain procedures do require prior authorization. But there's also medical treatments that require prior authorization as well because of treatment planning. One of the most common of those would be cancer. And a newly diagnosed cancer and an aggressive form of treatment might be questioned by your health plan and they may ask for a second opinion. So just be aware of that. And finally, we have something as simple as the doctor used the wrong code. It does happen. Administrative errors do exist. Maybe the claim was filed after the required deadline. They do have deadlines. Typically, it's a year. But given how slow certain medical facilities are to bill, you can actually go out nine to 12 months before you actually get everything resolved. And I've been involved in a number of cases like that. Another is this is not an emergency and therefore fill in the blank and maybe they'll cover it and maybe they won't. And then one that's particular to HMOs, you didn't get a referral to go inside the HMO network or even outside the HMO network. Let me take a minute, Jordan, on sure. the emergency because yes. usually when you or I have a pain somewhere or an issue, it's an emergency for us, but it's not an emergency in the terms of your carrier. And things like, you know, severe sore throats, earaches, headaches that don't seem to go away, acute back pain, those are not considered by your health plan as an emergency. As a general rule, it's always a good idea to try to get a hold of your primary care physician initially for direction. If you're not able to get a hold of them, it's common to look at a less expensive place to be seen, like an urgent care center. You'll have to probably pay out of pocket for that, but it'll be a heck of a lot less than the emergency, particularly if it's denied, since you'll be responsible financially for all those charges. I'll tell you the simplest way to look at, and I've said this many times in front of group meetings, is if I'm a parent, if my child is lying on the floor and they're unconscious, it's an emergency. If my child is not unconscious and they're talking to me about what hurts and why and so on and so forth, it's probably not an emergency, but it may be urgent. So I can call the doctor or I can go to an urgent care center, or if it's absolutely necessary at the last minute, I can go to the emergency care facility. You don't want to be in the emergency room anyway. They're going to triage you. They're going to make you wait. They may decide that your emergency is not an emergency. And so you get all that, but you do have to tread carefully. When you think it's an emergency, that doesn't mean anybody else thinks so. The good news is that particularly for pediatrics, there are these after-hour clinics that are now available and are very useful. But first, try to get in touch with your primary care physician. The emergency room is not a place for your routine primary care. If you don't have a primary care physician, it's important to really get one. That's one of the advantages of HMOs because an HMO really demands that you have a primary care physician who then becomes the gatekeeper and also your captain of the ship.
unless you're a member of the black sheep side of my family, in which case they always use the emergency room for all their primary care. And trust me, you don't want to be hanging out in the emergency room with that part of my family. So don't go there. Or hanging out with your family, period, given that information. Well, there is that. And that's why you're never invited <laughs> to anything we're ever having, Alan. And, and that's going to continue. We're going to be consistent with that. So, Alan, your claim's been denied for one of the above reasons. What can you say about it? What's the carrier going to do? What's going to happen here? You can run down your list of expletives. You can slam the doors, <laughs> throw some dishes. So um, then you are hanging out with my family. Okay. Yeah, I guess so. The first thing is, you know, take a couple of deep breaths. And then you have to do some homework. And the homework is look at your contracts. You have to know whether or not what they've denied, in fact, is something that has been not a covered benefit anyhow. Go to your evidence of coverage and look at all the things that are not covered. Next, it's very important to gather all the information about your claim. If there are x-rays, if there's blood work, if there's PT notes, imaging, MRIs, CT scans, PET scans, gather all that information because you're going to need to have it as background information when you begin the appeal process. You're trying throughout this whole process to understand what exactly transpired that made this claim be denied. Carefully review the health plan's appeals process. Make sure you follow it to the letter and take good notes of all the steps that you have taken in your appeal. I usually recommend having a separate folder where you can keep all the information and make sure when you speak with anybody, find out what their name is, what their position is, if there is an extension that you can get directly back to them. But throughout this entire process, it's just very, very important. Be polite. It's really, how can you help me? I need your help, as opposed to how can you do this to me? As Jordan said, they're the ones that control the money. And it's important for you to recognize that this is a process and it's a discussion that has to happen in a way that is polite and useful. That's why I never insult anybody when I go into a bank. I want to walk out with my money. I don't want them to say, you know, you're not going to call me now. We're just going to have to hold your money from you. So always be polite. And then what happens, I mean, you've done all this, but who can help you? There's got to be somebody out there that can help you. You shouldn't necessarily be on your own. This is the kind of thing you do, you know, once in a lifetime, twice in a lifetime, and you don't necessarily have resource available or resource that you're aware of. But if you're employed, you can go to your human resource manager or your office manager who probably has some familiarity with what happens. They don't always have the skills or experience necessary to help you, but at least it's a good place to start because they can also point you somewhere else. Should you call the carrier directly when this happens? I don't know the last time you spoke to a carrier. I'm on an express lane with carriers because I work with carriers all the time, and I still have to wait a half an hour, 45 minutes for somebody to pick up the phone. And even then, you're not always sure you're getting the right person. They're going to send you here, send you there. You want to work some of the back channels, you know, where you can. So again, if you do get a hold of the carrier, like Alan said, with whom did you speak? Take good notes. What day? What extension? This, that. And also try and find out from them what process they're going to want to follow. Now, I will tell you one thing that they're going to do like almost immediately. As a matter of fact, when you get your benefit statement, you're going to see it. Here's a one-page benefit statement. And behind it are five pages. So how do you file a grievance? I can tell you right now that this is, at least in California, it's required by state law that they tell you how to file a grievance. Don't bother. 
A grievance is about the way you were treated or whether the carrier really screwed up, like took two years to get back to you or some ridiculous, egregious sin like that. This is not normally what happens. When you get a benefit statement back in a reasonably timely manner that says claim is denied or claim is reduced or whatever the heck they're saying, that's not reason for grieving the situation. You're appealing, not grieving. So you can go ahead and appeal it. You don't have to grieve it. The grievance is unnecessary. The grieving comes after you get the final denial. Yeah, yeah, you'll be grieving that like crazy. Just remember that your doctor can be of help, but they are, particularly in today's practice world, really just snowed under. And if you can gather all the information and make it as easy for your physician as possible, if you've been denied, a good place to start, particularly when there are these minor things that Jordan referred to, which were administrative errors, wrong coding, wrong birth date, wrong social security number, wrong policy number, that's the office manager. But something that is important medically, it'll be difficult to get the physician to write that letter. I have thought in my mind that it might be worthwhile for you personally to take a stab at that letter and let the physician then edit it and then sign it and send it off. But typically, if you've got all the important background information, a good advocate can really be helpful and save you a lot of time. That, in fact, is something that we do and have done. And in a forthcoming podcast, you'll be able to see an actual case, obviously anonymous, we're not going to name the individual, but how we work together as a broker and a physician to resolve an issue and get a denial eventually overturned, which took a process of a year. A little over a year, yeah. We had to celebrate at the end of 12 months. We're almost done. The other thing, when Alan's talking about advocates, which we are, but I'm also an insurance broker. And the insurance broker that your employer has or that you bought your insurance from is actually paid to not just sell the insurance to whomever, but also to be your advocate, your assistant, a dog ate my ID card, I can't find my bill, I'm overdue, or my medical claim got denied. Now, not all brokers are alike. There are those that actually take their job quite seriously and really believe in the advocacy part of it. I'm one of those, and I hang out with a lot of people that are like me. And then there are those that just didn't get the memo. They're like you in advocacy. They're like me in advocacy. Fortunately, they're not me in personality. That's where it stops. Good point. Again, (laughs) you're not invited to that family gathering we're having. So start with your human resource manager, office manager, say, who's the broker? For this account, I want to talk to them. The broker may help you. They may have a customer service person. Our agency has a whole team of people that help. But when it really hits the fan, I'm the one that gets the call late at night, over the weekend, whatever, to say, I need your help. What can you do? And the case that Alan was referring to earlier is when a client called me and said, I can't get this claim paid for $100,000. And we were able to dig through it and get it paid. But like you said, it took a year. So the broker is actually paid to do that job. And you can get the broker's name and the HR manager or the office manager, they'll gladly give it to you because they don't want to deal with it. The broker knows your contract. The broker knows your carrier. The broker knows the stuff that we're talking about if they're working in health insurance on a regular basis. The broker has their own service support team on the carrier side. 
that can help them help you get through things. The broker can tell you what you need, can go through some of the things that we're going through here. If the broker's of no help, you either fire the broker, tell your employer to fire the broker, or you have to call an outside medical expert and we'll tell you to fire the broker. But usually I'll just call the broker themselves and say, you stink, but that's a whole nother story. So what next steps do we follow after that? We've kind of touched on it. You talk to the customer service rep at the brokerage office. Again, they need to get information from you. You need to provide information for them. They will probably send you what's called a HIPAA release notice, which allows them to get your personal information and also to be able to talk to a carrier on your behalf, even for something as innocuous as I need another ID card. That shouldn't be that big a deal, but for some reason it is. So they will say, I need to send you a HIPAA release form, sign it, send it. You can actually put a limit to the amount of time that allows them to speak on your behalf. But the first thing the carrier is going to say when the broker calls them is, do you have a HIPAA release? Yes, we do. Here it is. And then they can talk to the broker about it and tell them what's going on. Sometimes the response is swift. Sometimes the response is not swift. And sometimes it goes all over the place. Again, the broker is your partner in this, just like the doctor. So don't be overly aggressive to say, this is what I have. This is what I need. This is what I need it. And ask them what a reasonable expectation for continuing action is going to be, how they're going to help you, when they're going to be there, and how they're going to be there for you. And then if they're not, then you need to find someone else. Enough about brokerage. I could talk about brokers all day long, and trust me, nobody wants to hear it, including my wife. So, Alan, let's get back to the medical experts. Tell us a little bit about medical advocacy. I've heard about it. It's been written about a little bit. You and I are obviously doing it, but what does it actually mean and why is it important to people listening? Well, it's having a medical professional sitting at your shoulder. It's someone who really will help you understand what your condition is, what you can do about it, what are the options, what are the alternatives. There are some medical advocates that really delve deeply into the issues which go further into working directly with your physicians, your primary care, your specialist will accompany you to the office on site, examine all your reports and so forth. There are other advocates like myself who don't do that, but what we then do is really help patients understand their conditions the alternatives, things that they can think of, questions to ask their physicians so that they really have a deep and thorough understanding of their condition and really foster a partnership with their physician. I think that medical advocacy is a growing area. There are lots of patient advocates, more on the nursing side than medical side as physicians. But for me, it was a natural evolution for all the years that I've had in practice on the health plan side and working with medical startups over the past eight years before going into medical advocacy. And now he's shunned at cocktail parties everywhere. Absolutely. So that wraps up this particular podcast. We have other podcasts that we are going to be rolling out in short order, including understanding the top reasons for coverage denial. We only touched the surface of them here. We have a medical primer, so important information you need to know when you're choosing a health plan or a type of health plan. 
do's and don'ts for filing an appeal, how to be a partner in your medical care, which Alan's been talking about on this podcast a bit, the aforementioned demystifying medical necessity, pharmacy management, understanding Medicare, and the pros and cons of an HMO. We'll also have podcasts directed to specific employer concerns on plan selection, choice, funding mechanisms, etc. Look for our regular appearing blogs at our podcast, as well as our YouTube videos on our site. Again, medicalappealexperts.com. We look forward to seeing you in future podcasts. Your comments and suggestions for any other topics are more than welcome. And as Alan mentioned, we're also able to offer our review services should you need them. Thank you again for joining us. And just to remind everybody, Jordan, that to contact us directly, it's info at medicalappealexperts.com. That's uh, what I was going to say. Info at medicalappealexperts.com. I got your back, Jordan. Thank God. All right. It just makes good sense to have dedicated and experienced professionals at your side when you have a medical insurance claim denial or failed appeal effort. As experts, we are available to help guide you through your complicated, confusing, and often frustrating healthcare journey. Whether through a subscription to our educational series, blog posts, or the use of our custom personalized appeal assistance, we are your best choice to help resolve your insurance carrier denial issues. Connect with us for further information at medicalappealexperts.com.